Hi friends, this is episode 47 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hey everybody, thank you so much for coming back and joining us on this journey. I hope that you're growing as much as I am and as much as our community is that meets live every Saturday. And it truly is just our hope that you're just seeing God more and more clearly every single time you participate in one of these conversations. Now today's conversation is yet another parable of Christ that really opens up another window. You know, you think you know somebody, and then they start talking, and you realize, boy, there's a whole nother side to them. Today, Jesus opens up a parable that we call the rich fool, but it is anything but that. Welcome to the Bible Lab. Number one, I am more financially stable than the person sitting next to me. Oh, that's a dangerous one. Dangerous one. Okay. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I'm seeing. I'm seeing 70% no. I'm seeing some very brave souls raising yes. That's probably 5% yes. But what I'm most interested in is all the purple maybe cards. Because you don't want to let your spouse know what you really feel. You want to have a good lunch today. You don't want to talk about money. You just want to enjoy the day. I saw all you spouses just looking forward. You're like, I'm not looking, I'm not looking to the side. They may have a maybe card, but I'm going to pretend like I didn't even see it. Number two. Now, depending on where you are on the spectrum, you're either retired or not retired. So according to that, retirement is or will be the most relaxing period of my life. Retirement is or will be the most relaxing period of my life. Oh, this is funny. Because what I'm seeing is all the retired people saying no. And all of you who are working toward it saying yes. And several maybe. Okay, so the percentage look like to me to be almost a perfect 33, 33, 33 point whatever split. Wow. Okay. We're going to talk about that because I don't know about you, but I can't. Those of you who aren't retired, I can't wait to get to retirement because there's so many things I want to do. I just don't have time to do. Now, I know, I know it's, it's called retired, but technically you're retread, right? Because you got more miles to go. It's just, and you'll be busier than you've ever been, right? I got a oh yes from the retirees. Um, but at least you're doing what you want to do and with who you want to do it with. Can I hear amen for grandkids? Number three, I become extremely uncomfortable when I receive a large unexpected amount of money. (laughs) Look at this sea of no. Yeah, so I'm seeing a couple of you. I think there's, out of the whole crowd, I think there were 10 yeses. Please talk with me afterwards. I'll help you with that large sum of money. I've got plans. I've got ideas. Let's be creative together. The rest of you, very quick, I don't think I've ever seen uh, people vote so quickly and say no with their cards held so high. Can I hear an amen? Number four, 
God only gives us the amount of money that we can handle and not lose sight of him. Hmm, you're taking a little bit longer on this one. And it looks like about 55% yes, 40% no, and 5% maybe. We're really split on this one. It's something I heard growing up. Any of you hear that yes or no cards? Uh, did you hear that growing up? God will only give you the amount of blessings that you can handle. Yeah, I'm seeing all these yes cards. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful saying, horrible theology. Um, <laughs> but at least you feel better being poor. Number five, last one, money is the root of all evil. Uh, I am in Loma Linda because I'm seeing a sea of no. No, money is not the root of all evil. Uh, I'm seeing about 10% of you who are new to town. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. But keep at it. You'll get your doctorate before you know it. Did you know that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about prayer? He did. He talked about money much more than he ever talked about prayer. It's an important topic to him. It's an important topic to you. A lot of times we feel like, oh, we can't talk about money. You know, we're talking about religious things. And we can talk about it as long as we're talking about the building project or, uh, you know, increasing our local giving or giving to special outreach projects. We can talk about money that way. But we're uncomfortable talking about money in religious situations, aren't we? Part of that comes with our approach to talking about money. Many evangelists get on TV and say, let's talk about money. If you send in your, your money, I guarantee God says he will multiply your money and give you tenfold. Of course, I won't give you any back, but God will give you ten times. Look it up in Micah. So we become uncomfortable about money because we question the motives of the people who are asking for the money or we question the usage of the money, the proper usage and stewardship of the money. But Christ was extremely comfortable talking about money because he talked about it more than probably one of the most important topics, which is how do you communicate with God through prayer? And so today, as we enter into this parable, the third parable that we're looking at in this series, I want to ask you a question to help us really view in perspective how we view our time, our investments, and our money. And I want you to relax because Jesus was relaxed talking about money. I want to start out with this question. For those of you who are working toward retirement, what are you most looking forward to? And for the retirees, you're not left out. I want to ask, what do you enjoy the most about retirement? Raise your comment or question cards if you'd like to share in this one, and we'll get a microphone right to you. Another comment I have I hear about building programs and God will bless you and so forth. With my Roman Catholic heritage, that sure sounds like selling indulgences. The only difference is we don't offer you anything in exchange <laughs> other than maybe a little plaque <laughs> on a wall. And uh, isn't that great? But retirement, I'm not retired. I don't have any plans to retire. She has plans for me to retire. Yeah, because she has plans for what she really needs you to do, and you don't have any excuses because you're working. Yeah, and I, but I thoroughly enjoy what I do. Excellent. And, uh, and as long as I, I often say I woke up this morning, I knew who she was lying next to me, and I knew who I was, so I might as well get up. And I do that when I 
five days a week to go to work. And as long as I can still do it, why not? That's awesome. See, I'm, I'm opposite. I wake up, I look, uh, look over at my wife, and I say, where am I? <laughs> and what day is this? And what have I forgotten to do before I get to the office? So, excellent. Over here, Jordy. So as someone who has now been working for one month. Oh, you're an expert. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, I'm looking forward to retirement. <laughs> Perhaps you chose the wrong career. Because it sounds like to Michael up here, he goes to play and you go to work. Yeah, great. Awesome. Anybody else? Anybody else? Right here, Sharon. I want to warn the women that while men retire to another place from where they've been, and I suppose working women do too, people of my gener generation, the women retire to their work rooms mm. and they see about them all the things that need doing and uh, they don't really retire. No. <laughs> and, and Jack had his fingers in his ears the whole time. <laughs> so Jack, what she said was, never mind. Okay. <laughs> Here. Difficulty because uh, I'll have time to, to do more things to the Lord and have more time to do, spend more time with my family. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, your perspective is, I need more time to do ministry. Uh, that's actually what I'm looking forward to in retirement, is, uh, which sounds silly. A pastor is saying he wants to retire so he can do ministry. Um, but there are so many extra things, administrative things, that really take up a lot of time. A lot of meetings and a lot of stuff like that. So, very cool. Yes. I'm sure you've heard the famous saying, nobody wants on their tombstone, I wished I would have worked more. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know what uh, you're planning on your tombstone. Uh, you guys are my witness. This is what I have to have on my tombstone. It has to say, I told you I was sick. <laughs> exactly. Good. Back here. One thing about when you get retired and planning to do all the things you want to do, and now regardless whether you have the money or not, you're just not capable. Yeah. My yeah, exactly. My mother wanted to read when she retired. She got Alzheimer's. Hmm. I lost my leg. I'm suffering from diabetes, and hmm. I can't do what I want to do. Hmm. So it's difficult. Ah. What do I enjoy? I don't have to work. That's great. Yeah. But I can't do what I want to do either. I love that. And thank you. Thank you very much for taking the question and truly making it relevant to the real issues of waiting for opportunity. Because if you don't take the opportunity. You can't make opportunity. You can only take opportunity. Now, you can go and you can seek out opportunities, and that's what some people uh, equate with making opportunities, but the reality is you can only take opportunities, and if you wait too long, and we're going to see what Jesus says about this today in his parable. If your perspective is off, you miss your opportunities. Say. I said what you were going to say? Yeah, because essentially if you don't 
if you don't comment on, if you don't do what you're supposed to be doing, if you don't do something that's fulfilling during the day, yeah. your whole life is wasted. You can't yeah. wait until retirement. You've got yeah. to be able to do on a daily basis what makes you feel joy, what makes you feel like you're contributing to mankind, what makes you feel like you're doing well. When I do actually sell my practice, what I would like to do is do a portion of it, which I wish I could do right now, yeah. music therapy and pet therapy for mm. people with Alzheimer's, for people right. with dementia, mm -hmm. so that they could have some joy right. even with their diminished capacities. Yeah, exactly. Now, you understand that not only people here, but the people listening to the recordings, you are responsible for a rise in the percentage of unemployment. Because many people are gonna say, oh, I just need to quit. Because I need to do it now. No, you need to do what you want to do that's uh, fulfilling. Do what you want to do that's fulfilling during your lifetime. Exactly. All right, let's hear the real story from your husband. My rebuttal to that is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me just ask you before. Is she your ride or, or are you her ride? Separate cars. Home. Separate cars? Okay, say whatever you want, Byron. All right. I'm okay. safe. Yeah. Um, Honeydew lists fix all of that. In which way? Time, what you want to do, what you have to do, Tony do list, take care of it all. Mm. All right, so master class right afterwards with Byron, all right? So let's take a look here at what Christ says in a parable that is, in my opinion, it is not properly titled. Jesus didn't title this parable. We titled the parable, and... As we look at it more closely, we're going to realize that the parable of the rich fool should not be called the parable of the rich fool for a multitude of reasons. But let's take a look at it real quick, and we're just going to start out with the first two verses, and then we're going to uh, open up the other verses afterward. We're looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 14. If you have your Bibles open up, you might enjoy in your own version, plus I'd love for you to if you haven't already, begin taking notes because later on that's how the Holy Spirit really uses you at opportune moments as you want to share what you've learned. Uh, you should have your Bible with you or your Bible app, which you can take notes in your Bible app, which is really cool. And many of you, um, if, if you leave home and, and you forget your phone, you will turn around and go back and get your phone. Some of you left home and you forgot your Bibles today and you're like, it's okay. You always have your phone. And so start taking notes because the Holy Spirit can use prepared people. And if you have your notes with you, you are prepared. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, Jesus, uh, Jesus is introduced into this parable. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, that's Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? There's a couple of things that we can miss by just reading over this and reading in our Western mindset with our current culture. It's a different culture, so we have to look into this and see what's going on that we would miss because we're not part of that culture, most of us here. First of all, the man calls Jesus teacher, but he treats him like a rabbi or a judge. In those days, the rabbis, because they were also experts in reading up on the law, the rabbis were used as judges for minor disputes. It's kind of small claims court in Jesus' day. You go to a rabbi who was more than familiar with all of the legal uh, laws, uh, all, all, all the laws of the area, and they would help you settle your case as an arbiter. Um, teacher. 
He uses the word teacher. He didn't. He doesn't use the word for rabbi. Didaskale. Teacher is Luke's word for rabbi. So in a lot of the stories that you read, also in Matthew and Mark, the same stories, you'll see them calling him rabbi, uh, whereas Luke tends to go toward the word teacher. The man in the crowd's assuming that he's addressing a legal expert. That's why he comes up to Jesus. Jesus responds, uh, let me go back, I'm sorry. What he's asking is he says, tell my brother to divide. See the Greek there. Literally, if you were to take this Greek phrase and translate it, it's order my brother to make portions of the abundance. That's the literal translation. Order my brother to make portions of the abundance. There's only one problem. At that time period, what he's asking Jesus to do is quite offensive. Because in the Middle East, there are two approaches to what happens when someone dies. What happens with the inheritance? Now, the Greek mindset had really swept through the area. And when someone would pass away, a patriarch of the family, a father would pass away, the property or the business was not split up, sold, and the children get a portion of the proceeds. That's not what would happen. Basically, the ownership of the business was always the family, not the father. He would help you make sure and run the business the best way because of his added years of experience. But the family was to keep the property, keep the business, and you would operate that as one unit. To ask someone to divide that up says, I don't want to have any dealings with you. I just want to be on my own. I would prefer to never have to do any business with you, brother or brother or even sister. And so what he's asking Jesus to do is not to resolve an issue to bring them together. He's asking Jesus to divide a family. And obviously he doesn't know Jesus because that's out of the character of God to divide. His desire is to unite. Jesus responds, <laughs> we translate, man. Uh, it's okay, translation. But you have to understand uh, the semantics of this. If you were to say that in his day, it was, it was very much a slang term that's used in, in the Greek there. It would be literally like me saying today. Imagine Jesus there. The man comes up and says, tell my brother to divide the property. And Jesus says, dude. <laughs> it literally is that. I'm not making this up. It is that same vernacular, that same sense of just, dude, who made me an arbiter between me and you? Which echoes back to Exodus 2 when we have this whole story of Moses trying to deal with some issues, you know, between the he Hebrews and, and the Egyptians, and he comes in and says it the opposite. The people around Moses say, who made you an arbiter or a judge between us? Jesus turns around and says, who made me one of you? And so this man comes saying, help us divide. Jesus says, that's not my role. I'm not that kind of a judge, dude. And then he goes on in verses 15 through 20. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. 
the ground of a certain rich man, yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So, what do you think this parable is about? And what about that title? It seems like it's about something else. What do you think this parable is actually about? Over here, Anesio. And I hope that in the same page, about the retirement or I prefer about work. In Brazil, normally people tell us, I want to know who invented the work. And they can tell you it was God. Not is more blessing than the work. Hmm. Um, not a, I'm talking about money. I talk about time to spend with work and be a blessing for the, our family and for others also. Yeah. Work is the blessing. And I, I think by the Bible, God doesn't have a retirement plan for nobody. <laughs> Great perspective. Thank you, Inesio. Uh, let's go to David and then Raul. As a trust and estate litigator, I can tell you that nothing has changed in 2,000 years. And <laughs> yes. I, I, these are the words that I hear all the time, hmm. um, and it's rather sad. Um, the thing that caught my eye is um, Jesus is telling this parable, and, and this um, fellow in the parable says, uh, I'll say to myself, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And the next line... Jesus saying, fool. And I'm going, hold on, wait a second. I mean, my favorite verse of the Bible is mm -hmm. Ecclesiastes uh, 2.24. Yeah. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his, in his work. Ah. And Jesus seems to be preaching out of Ecclesiastes because not only in Ecclesiastes 2.24, we got Ecclesiastes 3.12 to 13, mm -hmm. where he says, where's, uh, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toil. This is the gift of God. And mm -hmm. then Ecclesiastes 8.15, I mean, this is a, a repeating theme. Yes. And suddenly Jesus is dogging it in, in Ecclesiastes 8.15. So I yes. commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for man under the sun to eat and drink and be glad. Yes. And suddenly Jesus is saying, fool. Yes. So, so what's going on? He just ripped up my favorite verse. <laughs> ah, ah. Before, before I explain, let me just tell you, this afternoon... Eat, drink, and be merry. Okay? It's a Sabbath. Why did Jesus come in the flesh? To reveal the character of God. Thank you, Dr. Elder. There are areas of Scripture that were Scripture for the Jews 
of the time of Christ's coming that people would quote on a regular basis. Jesus came to truly reveal. He says, I didn't come to abolish. I came to fulfill. And so you don't have to tear up those favorite verses of yours. What Christ is doing is fulfilling it in your mind, helping you understand the perspective of God so that you understand what does it mean to be satisfied in your work, to look back and say, I did that. That didn't exist until I did it. And I'll, I'll be transparent with you. The thing that gives me the absolute most joy is looking back at something fairly concrete and saying, I did that. The amount of hours that I spent this week amounted to something that people can point to and say, he didn't just sit there and come up with a theory. Something came out of his time. And so for me, yeah, I would wrestle with it too had Christ not explained clearly what does he mean by this parable and calling him a fool. We'll get to that word fool as well because there are other Bible texts where Christ himself said, don't call anybody a fool. So how can he call someone a fool here? We'll get to that in a few moments. Raul. There are a few people in this world that um, for whatever reasons, they are born rich, wealthy, but that's exceptional, very few people. So aside from those very few, we don't know what you mean with question three, receiving a large amount of money. Yes. We don't know what that means, Pastor. No, and we wouldn't know what to do with it. We've proven that with the people who win the, the huge lotteries and sport athletes who win millions of dollars within a few years are all bankrupt. Yes. So the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Mm -hmm. In the light of that, I would change the title of the parable. Instead of the rich fool, I would say the fool rich. Because I believe that God gives, gives us abilities mm -hmm. to do many things, not yeah. only make wealth. And it is our decision and our attitude and our actions that you know, finally turns us rich or poor or fool or wise. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I'm gonna take it one step farther, Ra Raul. Uh, one of the issues that Jesus is addressing here, remember, you have to take everything in context. What's the context of this parable? There's a guy who's saying, I wanna, I'm willing to divide my family in order to have an abundance. He's selfish. Exactly. Some of, you, some of you were saying that already. The context is showing here that it's not simply a hardworking person that wants to provide for their family in a way that perhaps you didn't grow up in that same affluent environment. The question is, is it bad to be wealthy? Well, if it is, God did a lot of bad with Abraham and Job and David, King Saul, Abraham. I, I just go through the list of all the bad things God has done by giving people wealth. So it can't be this abundance of wealth that is gifted from God. If that's bad, God does bad things. And so we have to take a look at what is what is the defining framework that makes an abundance bad versus good? 
because abundance is a gift from God. Who has the mic next? Michael. Well, like you say, having money is not evil in itself. What is evil is avarice, greed, where money becomes the, really becomes the root of your desires in life. Okay. You know, and we forget sometimes, I do myself, <clears throat> right. That life is hard and difficult. And it's hard and difficult for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think of Mother Teresa who said, I know that God will not give me anything that I cannot handle, but why does he keep testing me? Mm. <laughs> Great question. Back here, we have a question. I wonder how many people identify themselves as the fool and how many of us, because we rarely identify ourselves with that part of the story. We're always the hero. We're always more like Jesus. Mm. And it came home uh, a few weeks ago. We had a freezing period. And I've grown up in the church hearing people, oh, you know, I'm having this problem. I will pray for you. I don't need your prayer. I need $5 in my gas tank. (laughs) Now, literally, I was walking out of Stater Brothers in Colton, and this isn't a pat on my back. It was looking at myself in this context, yeah. there was a man shaking and cold, and I knew that it was gonna be freezing that night, mm. and he wasn't asking for anything, because a lot of us turn like the Pharisee and the uh, Good Samaritan and just keep on walking. Oh, that poor guy, or what did he do to get in this position? Literally, I felt like I could hear his bones shaking, mm. and I walked past him, and I got to my car, And I turned around and I saw he was literally digging in the trash for food. Hadn't asked anyone for anything walking in or walking out. Hmm. And I turned around and took out of my groceries and came back. And I said, what is your name? He said, Andrew. And I thought, ooh, a biblical name. And I said, Hmm. take this. I wish I had some milk to, it was cereal that I found on sale. And I thought, I have a roof over my head. You know, this guy is going to be out in the cold tonight. Hmm. And it just bothered me to the point where I went to Walmart, the one over here, and found they only had groceries. And I thought, this guy needs a blanket. And so I went to the other one, found a blanket, went back, gave him the blanket, and went, whatever, Wiener Schnitzel, got him a chicken sandwich. I thought, he doesn't need beef, he needs chicken. It's gonna sit bad on his stomach. And he was like, why are you doing this? I said, because I have a place to sleep and you need to be warm. So I think too often, you know, I think part of what Jesus is doing here too is we hold on to the gospel. It's not just the riches, and we pride ourselves. I'm in church every week. I tithe or whatever, and we pass by the opportunity to share him with someone else. That's a great point. Thank you, Thad. Thank you. I love it. All right. Down over here, Dr. Elder. Several meanings to fool. One of them is ignorance, Mm -hmm. and I think that's the word Christ used. You are ignorant of your need of a relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Another meaning of it is you're stupid and you don't care. Mm -hmm. And that's a despicable person. Mm -hmm. That's not the word Christ used. It's raka is is that word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think Christ is simply pointing out you're unaware of your need for a relationship Mm -hmm. with the Father. Okay. Great. You know this already. You're a man ahead of your time. 
Today, you're about three minutes ahead of your time. <laughs> We're getting there. Because when you see what Christ said, it's going to just explode in your mind when you see what he said. When we translate you fool, he, Christ was a poet. And you know that about 80% of the red letters in the Bible are humorous in some way. It's a joke, play on words, pun. It's humorous in some way. When people heard it, they actually chuckled. And you'll see why in a minute. Thank you. Uh, back here. Yes, ma'am. What this parable is about? Yes. It seems to me that it's pointing out that the man has the, his focus on the wrong thing. Mm. Yeah. It, it's worldly. It's possessions. It's mm -hmm. money. Yes. But it's in uh, a unique way. Okay, and you're getting to that. <laughs> I sure hope so, or you guys are going to go home very well, disappointed this week. I'm going to be quiet so you can. No, you're, you're <laughs> awesome. Because you're taking us, thank you, because you're taking us, that's a great segue for us to go into, what is this really about? Because in our capitalist mindset, our Western mindset here, we immediately go to, the guy's problem is he's focused on wealth, his riches. That's not his focus. That's why the rich fool is a bad title. So let's take a look at what's going on here, and then I'll get to some of these other cards. The question is, first of all, when the rich man in Jesus' parable has a bumper crop, who does he talk to? Look in your Bibles. Yes, in fact, the Bible, it talks to himself. The Bible says, this is so funny because uh, some of you have a, a funny way of saying things today, but it literally says, the man said to himself, self, and then it goes on. Psyche. Psyche. You guys know Greek. Psyche. The man said to his psyche, psyche. Said to himself, self. Who's he talking to? Himself. Secondly, how many times does the man in this parable use the pronoun I? Too many. It's closer than six. It's 11. Yeah, there's a couple. It's a, it's a short, it's short word. Eleven times he uses the pronoun I. The focus is I, I, I. The focus is not money. The focus is self. In the Middle East, when you are going through a bumper crop, you immediately go to your family unit and ask for their advice. What should we do with this wealth? Jesus is speaking to a man who's trying to divide the family. So, of course, his parable is about a man who is divided from his family at a time when he should be united with his family to ask, what should we do? He doesn't ask for any advice from anyone on the outside, not even God. He says, self, what should we do? That's our first clue of what this guy's problem is. His focus is not money. His focus is self. Secondly, I mean, thirdly, the rich man's problem is not that he's selfish. What is his real problem? So his real problem, his focus is self, but what's his real problem? Ah, divided is good, and I kind of led you down that road. It rhymes with satisfied. <laughs> wow, you guys are quick. Satisfied. He's satisfied. Do you realize that the greatest enemy of the church is not conflict, it's comfort? The greatest enemy of our church is not conflict because conflict wakes you up. It makes you look at your, your stand 
uh, on uh, your viewpoint of what you're taking a stand on and to say, where am I right? Where am I wrong? Where am I off base? Conflict requires you to take a look at where you are, your stance, your position. Comfort allows you to sit back, relax, and take a great big breath of air and go, I have arrived. I don't need anything. This is where David, it comes into play, where he says, now I can just eat, drink, and be merry. I have everything I could ever possibly need for years to come. I no longer have to work. I no longer have to look around and say, what am I producing? I now can just take a big sigh. Look on the back of your study guide because I want you to understand this. Because Jesus plays off of this when he calls the man, quote, a fool. Jesus uses the word fool. Uh, I thought we weren't allowed to say that. What did Jesus really say and what did he mean by it? Well, first of all, we have to take a step back. When the man rejoices and says, now I can eat, drink, and be merry, the word for rejoice is actually uh, one of these words, kind of like what we have today, where a word can mean multiple things. And the word rejoice is euphrinu, which means to be glad, rejoice, and celebrate. But it also means this. <sighs> yes, it means sigh. It's a satisfied sigh, euphrino. <sighs> so when we read rejoice, the people in Jesus' day heard, <sighs> that's what I can do. It's not jumping up and down. It's taking the lounge chair, getting it just right, sitting back, and having your glass of lemonade. That's euphrino. So Jesus uses this term that we translate fool. It's aphron. The phron is the Greek word for the diaphragm. When you reach the point where you can relax with a great sigh of relief and expand your diaphragm, you have arrived. You have achieved the state of euphrino. But Jesus tells him that he is in reality a phron. Literally, he is a person with no diaphragm left to expand, he has reduced to being a person incapable of relaxing. So he doesn't call him a fool, he calls him diaphragmless. <laughs> so if we go back and retitle this parable, we'd probably have to say, the satisfied diaphragmless man. Now you see why we call it the rich fool. But that's what Jesus is talking about. You can get yourself to a point in your life that when you receive the bumper crop, instead of looking and saying, now how can I use this to work even more effectively, to have more of an effect on the people around me, to help, to actually ask for advice of my family members and to partner with those that really care about the community around us. Instead, you hoard it to yourself. That's where the greed comes in. You only talk with yourself because you don't want outside input. You're okay with being all alone without any close friends or family. You just want to be self-satisfied. You finally have arrived to a place where you have no responsibility. And Christ says that's dangerous. Because if you get into that situation, you realize you think that that's the place where you'll finally be able to go, <sighs> but God says you'll never get there. 
because you'll always be paranoid. You ever notice how when people gain higher levels of leadership and wealth, how much smaller the circle of their friends becomes? How paranoid they are? Why are you talking to me? You're, just, you're only being nice to me because you want some money. It constricts on you to where you can't relax. You can't trust that the people coming to you just want to love on you and be your friend. You cannot trust. You cannot go, ah, let's relax together. You cannot relax. Jesus says as long as your focus is on self, you will never relax. So our question for this week as we close is this. According to this kingdom tale, what is God warning you against? I love the story that's told. A father goes to his, uh, his child and he says, hey, look, your birthday's coming up. And I know you don't typically ask for things for your birthday, but I want to get you something that you really want. So what do you want for your birthday? Nine-year-old son says, well, it depends. Father says, depends on what? He says, well, either a football or a soccer ball. And the dad says, okay, so what do you want more? He says, well, that's where the it depends comes in. Because it depends. If you're going to have time to play with me and play catch in the backyard, I want a football. But if you're not going to have time, then just get me a soccer ball because I can always play with the kids in the neighborhood. The dad says, okay, thanks, I'll, I'll think about it. And he went to his wife and he shared the story. And it's not until the telling of the story to his wife that it really hit him, the full impact. His son didn't want a specific type of ball. He wanted time. He wanted relationship. He wanted attention, the focus of the father, that connection. He tells this story and he says that, most people on the outside wouldn't understand. They probably think it's foolish on that birthday as a father and son embrace and shed tears over a silly football. Where's your focus? God has given you gifts. Your desire for your gift has everything to do. Your desire for abundance should have everything to do. What does does it help you have that closer relationship, that united connection with your loving Savior above? Isn't that what it's all about, is having a relationship and never being satisfied with your relationship with God and never being satisfied that you've done enough? It's truly my hope that somehow and in some way and at some portion during this conversation that God really worked on your heart and he showed you where you fit in that picture and exactly what you need to do today to have a not only a great relationship with him, but to help other people have a relationship with God as well. Now, I invite you to come back for episode 48 because in that episode, it's going to be a great feast. In fact, the parable is about the great feast in Luke chapter 14, and I can't wait for you to join us for that. So join us back next time. Thanks so much for joining us as we continue to try to seek out God's character. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab Podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.